Hello, welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Surviving the Ground. I'm your host, Jay Adante, and I'm here with my father and co-host, Joe Adante. Hello, everybody. And we're uh, we're missing the lovely Bartek today. He's a uh, man's been kind of busy, so uh, running a, I don't want to say a skeleton crew, because it's really only one man short, but... <laughs> I don't, have, I, have, I don't know what to say about it, but well, as long as I'm here, there's plenty of meat on the bone, as they say, so we can plunge on. All right, that sounds good. Well, we've got some uh, winners and some losers from last weekend. Um, Bills and the Texans had a very tight game. I know that uh, Texans came through with some heroics at the end. I, I was really particularly disappointed about it because Buffalo was really. Uh, I had picked the Texans to win that game, but Buffalo was really more. I don't know. I wanted to see them do something, but uh, they they really kind of let me down at the end. Well, I'll tell you, you know, with sports in general, and the NFL is no different, what happens many times is that a team might really be on the rise, like a Buffalo, let's say, and but they play in these big games, and they just really haven't reached that level yet where they expect to win, you know, where it's just built in. And some people call it uh, confidence. A little, I think it's a little bit more than that. But uh, you, you need to go into these games just fully aware that you should win. And I just didn't get that impression. I, I, you know, they take that big lead in the first half, Buffalo. And I really thought, as a viewer, I pretty much figured they were going to lose. And because they're just not there yet. So and they might do it next year. You know, I'm not poo-pooing them. Let me be clear. But... Uh, the quarterback in particular, but really the whole team, they, they, you must reach that level where there's a built-in expectation. Every time you take the field, you expect to win. And you're not overconfident. You're not a braggart or anything like that. But Buffalo's not there yet. They're a team on the rise. Uh, next year is going to really be critical to see if they can really take that next step. And I know we're going into ancient times, so they kind of remind me of the... Uh, Maybe not quite as good, but they remind me of kind of like the '84 Bears. You know, they they actually yeah. made the playoffs, actually won a playoff game against Washington, and they got blown out in the NFC Championship game, twenty-three nothing. In fact, for some of the 49ers are leaving the field, I know a few of them said, "Hey, next year, bring your offense to the game." Uh, and of course, next year, you know, Bears won it all. Yeah, but it takes steps sometimes. You know, some teams don't just you know go from last to first automatically. Uh, like the Blues did last year in hockey. Yeah. But uh, it takes steps. And Buffalo is just not there yet. I mean, they, they still, you could see their body language. I mean, when they took the yeah. field, they you could see they felt they were underdogs against the Texans. And it, it really showed. Um, and, yeah. but, but this is it. Whenever you see this, and you see it in the NFL, you see it in the NBA, you see it in all, sport, uh, in all sports, whenever you see a team blow a huge lead like that, 10 points, 14 points, it's pretty much... That's usually the reason. They, they don't expect to be there yet. They're well, really happy be, to be it there. really became one of those things where, like, you can tell that they have um, they have the skill positions for it. Um, I mean, the roster doesn't always seem like a glowing roster or anything, but a lot of the, you know, they have receiving talents. They have a run game. They've got a quarterback they can usually trust. But in that game, he just, he got to a point where he couldn't, <clears throat> he was overthrowing receivers left and right when he had some deep routes and, yeah. um they couldn't make a lot of conversions happen, and that just slowly gets away from you when you when you can't convert. 
Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that they they do have some receiving I'm glad, talent. I'm glad you agree. They they need uh, a little more than John Brown, I think. To be honest with you, yeah. And they, yeah well, I like I like what they've I like what they've turned uh, Cole Beasley into. They've kind of turned Cole him into because he's always been right kind now. of a relying a reliable talent on the underneath. And he's also a really good rapper too. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're probably I think they're still one receiver short. They need a big yeah. name. Or a big, big time, a physically big receiver. Yeah. Their receivers are all real small. Yeah, because I know they've had some good tight end play. They've had a few tight ends who have that sort of George Kittle style <laughs> where they can really kind of bruise some people up. Um, but it was really one of those games where, yeah, I mean, Deshaun Watson and them came in with a little more um, attitude. And, you know, just at the end of the day, two defenders hit each other and, fall off to Sean Watson and he makes a completion and suddenly, you know, the whole game just turns. Well, yeah, and there you see the difference. And, and you're right, you can say it's maybe not great tackling or the guys ran into each other, lucky break. Or, but the fact of the matter is uh, they were down a couple of touchdowns. And, but I never fretted. I mean, I'm not a Texans fan, but I, mean, I never thought they would lose. Because uh, you see the difference between Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen, you know. Josh Allen's good and he can make that next step. But Deshaun Watson's there. He's there already. Yeah. And you could see, you could just see by looking at him. I just I could tell by his body language and the way he was running his team that I never doubted they would lose, even though it was really really close. But I, I never had the slightest doubt that uh, that Deshaun Watson would just. It's an overused phrase, but literally I'd carry the team on your back and 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 win. And uh, of course, that's why I'm so happy that. The Bears used their first round pick a couple years ago to pick up Mitch Trubisky and passed over Deshaun Watson. Uh, and I think that game kind of was a good illustration why that was such a stupid move. Yeah. Well, and it's not going to look, you know, people are talking about the Mitch Bowl coming forward, which is uh, the Texans and the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah. And people are talking about it, of course, being the two quarterbacks that get passed up uh, in a draft to get Trubisky and how. Wonderful that's been, but that's we'll stay in the wild card round for now before we get to that. Uh, Titans with us. I don't know if it's a surprise victory over the Patriots. Uh, I picked no. the Patriots just because I can't, I can't not trust Brady to take care of playoff action. But uh, but I didn't want them to win, so that kind of worked out well for me. It worked but, out um, good for you, didn't it? Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, the one thing that really impressed me was obviously Tennessee's offense. You know, uh, I mean, Derrick Henry had over 100 yards in the first half, and um, they didn't get as much of a passing game going, but their defense really stood strong. And, I mean, you held the Patriots to 13 for the whole game, but they basically they were able to hold a 13-14 to 14 game for much longer than I was thinking they'd be able to. And Absolutely. Finally, finally, Logan Ryan gets an interception at the end and, you know, runs it back for a touchdown. And you really... You know, so, somewhat, even though I know people want to hate on Brady, like <laughs> you start to wonder, like, you know, did you just watch the last pass, <laughs> you know, the end of his, the end of his highlight reels or whatever. But, you know, deep down inside, I'm sure there's more to come. No, if, if, if nothing else, uh, that virtually guaranteed his return because he doesn't want to leave on that kind of a note. So he'll, he'll definitely 100% be back. I know people are speculating that. Maybe with another team. It's it's not going to be with another team for a couple of reasons. One is he's been with the Patriots his whole career. Uh, there's no way that he's going to go to at 42 years old. 
he's going to go to another team and learn a whole new system and everything, all new people. I mean, it's just there's just no way that's going to. Happen. And two is that a lot of teams, even though it's Tom Brady, they know they can they have eyes. He's not the Tom Brady of of ten years ago. Uh, who's going to hire a forty two year old quarterback who wants thirty something million a year? He says he's not going to give anybody a hometown discount. So there's several reasons why he'll probably be back. My guess is the probably the Patriots will sign him a two or three year deal. He'll get his thing where he plays till 45. And now whether they'll, I don't think they'll ever get to the Super Bowl again. Yeah, but well, they're going to have to really start establishing at this point whether he likes it or not. They're really going to have to start establishing whether or not um, they have a backup available for him because uh, really at right. this point, and I imagine if you do sign him to something, you have to know deep down inside. Yeah. You really should start prepping for the future at this point. Absolutely. No, that's an excellent point. And it's actually number three reason why I think Brady will be back is because the uh, you know, the starting quarterback for the Patriots is not on their roster yet, so they practically have to bring Brady back uh, or somebody like that. Because yeah, I didn't even know if Brian Hoyer was still on the the roster, but he's definitely not someone I would trust no. the keys with. No. <laughs> to say the least, no. To, so, to a car or playing football. So, I mean, I would be really uh, shocked if Brady doesn't wind up back with the Patriots, even though he isn't a totally unrestricted free agent. But I would be stunned. You know, they'll figure something. I don't know what he's going to make. I know he says he's not going to give a hometown discount, which means the translation, that means he wants over $30 million a year. <laughs> but I you know, I don't know if he's going to get it. I, frankly, I don't know if he's worth it. I know people uh, listen to this and say that it's sacrilege. But, I mean, the honest to God truth is he's going to be 43 next year. He's not the same Tom Brady he was 10 years ago. He's good, but, you know, he's not somebody you're going to build the future on for a long term. Yeah. And um, I think, the, I mean, the most impressive thing up to the season, and, and real, realistically, I think I kind of wanted the Titans-Chiefs matchup just because I was kind of looking forward to something very similar to the first time, uh, to the earlier them playing the season where the Titans actually gave the Chiefs, you know, they ended up winning that game. Uh, not that long ago. And realistically, the, one of the most impressive things about that team is, I mean, their running game, obviously, Derrick Henry has always been a men among boys kind of situation. Uh, he's a very, very big man who can get turn on some speed when he needs it. But uh, Ryan Tannehill has really shown off some glamour in that position. And realistically, like it's something that we haven't really seen all that much. Uh, in his career, you've seen spots of it in Miami, but um, to the point where in about three different categories, he's ranked number one in the NFL in those last like five games of the season. It's like the highest QBR, the highest pass per attempt, and the highest pass per completion yards. Yeah. Um, and if that keeps going forward, I mean, I don't, I kind of forget how, what his age is, but you know, he, I think he's still in a pretty reasonable time period of his life to kind of continue some of that in Tennessee. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I know he's not that old. I don't know his exact age off the top of my head, but I think he's around 30 or so. But uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it should be a good game. I certainly uh, would think Kansas City would win because they're, well, they're, they're at home. Well, they're, they're not playing Kansas City. Or, uh, I'm saying that we probably wanted that game. They're playing the Ravens. I'm sorry. And that's, I'm, uh, I was that's, looking at the wrong thing over It's not going right. to be. Tennessee and the Ravens. I'm sorry. <laughs> That game is probably not going to be pretty. No, no. I I, I jumped. It was Kansas City's playing Houston. Um, Yeah. Certainly, uh, you know, the odds makers believe Baltimore is going to win big at nine and a half, and and I think they probably will win big. 
and it's no nothing against uh, Tennessee, but well, Baltimore. You're play, you're is just, yeah, I mean, going going into the kind of like uh, well, we'll start with obviously. Um, we're already at the Titans. So, I mean, Titans, Ravens, the reality is like in that game, even being heavily favored with how good the Titans have been, they're, they're really, they're playing a team that quarterback wise and what their team as a whole has been able to kind of put together. I mean, I don't want to say necessarily that you've never seen anything like it because you've got, well, you know, Michael Vicks in the day and you've got other quarterbacks who've made some marks here and there, but, um, the talent that's surrounding him with a running game and his tight ends. And uh, he's got a couple of receivers on the squad that have gotten some, they have some good experience and have played well. I mean, it's, it's almost like it's something you've never seen. Yeah. And you know, like you're right. You hesitate to say you've never seen something, but you're right. It's a, it's a complete team. I mean, they've got a great defense or good, very good defense. Uh, the offense seems to be unstoppable, uh, you know, with uh, Jackson, Lamar Jackson at the helm. Uh, good running backs, a couple of good, really good running backs, good line blocking, uh, like I say, good, excellent tight ends. It's just an all-around complete team, and that's why I'm going to jump with the gun, but that's why it's probably the favorite to win it all. It's probably going to be probably Baltimore, I would say, at this point, unless they make a major you know, slip on a banana peel somewhere. Uh, you know, It's just uh, going to be hard. And they've won a whole bunch of games in a row. They played a bunch of their backups against the Steelers and beat the crap out of them in the last game of the season. So, I mean, they're just that good. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be hard, really hard to stop them. But that's why they play the games, you know. The upsets could happen. But, but uh, man, I mean, if you had... <laughs> I, I think I'd actually, with a nine-and-a-half point, uh, point spread that Vegas has given out, I think I would actually still take Baltimore. <laughs> I think they'll win by way more yeah. than 10. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be the the assumption anyway. Um, all right, well, sticking with the... Since we're in the AFC there, so so now we've got... Uh, Texans versus Chiefs, and that's uh, am I seeing that right? Sunday at two o five. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> well, it's central as a, central as a, time. As, yeah. a, as a central time person, that time strikes me as a very odd one, not being noon or like three twenty. Two o five strikes me as a very strange time. Well, I think what they're what they're trying to do is uh, it's on it's on Sunday. And they want to stretch it out. They want to stretch out the NFL day, you know. So yeah. rather than starting a game at noon, they started at 2.05. And then they can have the next game at 5.40 and kind of drag it into prime time. So they haven't always scheduled these games like this, but in, but it's a, I think it's a fairly recent phenomenon. But, yeah, it makes sense from a programming standpoint. You know, TV, of course, runs the NFL at this point yeah. in time. They, given so much money to it. Uh, so that, that's why they, they want to yeah. spread it out to prime time. So I don't know why I started there, obviously, because that's the Sunday game. But I guess since we're sitting there already, so you've got Texans-Chiefs. Um, I think they had a matchup earlier in the year, if I'm not mistaken. I feel like they played earlier in the year. and I don't remember who won that game, if it was. I know this is really great radio right now, giving you a ton of very sure and very certain information, of course with no confidence at all and no no justification. Anyway, the reality is I, I I think honestly based on the time that Buffalo gave the Texans, I mean my guess is that Mahomes will get through this. And 
in the Chiefs. Not maybe not a cruise, not just set the cruise control or something, but I think that they'll probably be able to win this one. Yeah, well. you know, uh, they're favored also by nine and a half. In fact, I, but I will say that uh, to me, and uh, yeah, it seems a, seems a little high to favor them the yeah, same way the Ravens are. Favored. Exactly, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I like Baltimore, and I, I'll probably look like an idiot, you know, after the games are over and I'm proven wrong. But I mean, Baltimore, like I say, I feel very confident going to win by more than ten. But Kansas City, I don't know. Against Houston, Houston's got a, a dynamic offense. And Kansas City is does not have that good a defense. Although I, I will say they've been good against the pass, which yeah, is the yeah. strength of. Uh, so they match up well from that standpoint. They're good against the pass. Houston's good at uh, passing, but Houston's not good at running, and that's where the Kansas City weakness has been is stopping the run. So they they do match up well against Houston. But nine, eight, you're right. Now you hit the nail on that. Nine and a half points seems a bit high. I, I would probably take the the uh, Houston and the nine and a half on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think if you move that down to like a six, yeah, suddenly you've got me in a place. Now you're probably the right spread. Where I'm think. thinking more, you know, they end up winning by a touchdown or something. I still think that game, all these games like seem to feel like they come down to something kind of close. Um, I'm taking the Chiefs. I, I don't know where you stand on it, but. Oh, yeah, no, you have to go. You have to go with the Chiefs, I think, uh, certainly. This is this is a game where I think really Houston can win. Um, I guess I'm trying but, to figure out whether I think it's going to be a slugfest or I think it's going to be kind of one of those low twenties games, or is it going to be you know the Chiefs with on paper 30. it should be on paper it should be high scoring game, but I tell you I don't know how many times we've said this and then it ends up being a defensive struggle. So I'm thinking that I'm thinking that game. I'm, th- I'm thinking KC ends up with about three touchdowns. My guess is it's probably twenty four or twenty seven. Maybe like three touchdowns with a couple field goals. So I'm thinking maybe like a 21 to 27 kind of thing. So yeah, like, I would say I would say Chiefs 27, 24, yeah, probably. Something around that range. Something like that. Could be 31, 27, but it's you know, something in that range. High twenties, low thirties. Yes, I mean it's either gonna be something like that where it's kind of a punch out, or maybe we're wrong about the spread and the Chiefs end up winning that game super handedly. And, you know, they just fall on their face. But, but you know, uh, just, just like the Kansas City defense matches up well, on paper at least, with the Texans' offense, but the reverse is true with, you know, the Kansas City offense versus, versus the Houston defense. Houston's defense has been bad against the pass, and obviously Kansas City has been very good with the pass. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the mismatches that we just talked about, to me, give Kansas City the edge but this is probably the least, uh, you know, there's nothing, no such thing as a sure thing. But to me, this is about the least of the sure thing that <laughs> on the board. Because Houston, I'll tell you, when Houston is good, they're unstoppable Yeah, on offense. And but, oftentimes you see both Houstons in the same game. And that's, yeah. That's, that tends to be kind of the problem with Houston. They, they tend to be slow starters. And you saw that, as you mentioned last week, uh, against Buffalo. Uh, they tend to be very slow starters. Well, okay, so then you've got... The Titans moving out of New England and they're on their way to uh, Baltimore, which you said was what was that nine and a half? Yeah, nine and a half spread. I think obviously you got to take the Ravens in that game, even though I think the Titans will probably put up a fight. Um, yeah, I think they'll put up a fight, but uh, it's going like to take, take a lot to stop that, and I'm not sure they can do it in Baltimore. Yeah, because Baltimore has a complete team. You know, they've got the good defense, which I think can stop Tannehill. They get a lot of sacks. 
They're really good against the pass. And yeah, they do have Derrick Henry, uh, Tennessee, and he's excellent. But I think if Baltimore can really focus on stopping Derrick Henry, then I think they can stop him long enough to where their offense, the Baltimore offense, will just pile up the points because Tennessee's defense is okay, you know, but it's it's not a world-beater defense. And uh, like I say, Lamar Jackson has just been playing out of this world. And like you say, he's got a lot of good weapons. Uh, I I can't imagine how Tennessee will be, will be able to stop him uh, long term. Um, my thoughts on that game is I, I think – I think Baltimore gets over 30 in that game. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm guessing I'm guessing low. I'm thinking it's maybe one of those like 34-24 kind of things, 34-20-21. I feel like Tennessee will get some points, and maybe they'll get up to the 21 in garbage time when it's already, you know, 14 to 34, and they just happen to score another touchdown or something. Well, this but, is a big game. This is a big game for Lamar, and I think he's going to really ball out. I think he's going to really, you know, try to as, run as it as up. He, as long as he doesn't wear white sleeves to this one, end up with a buff, Buffalo situation where you try and make a statement about him carrying the ball with his skin color and then wearing white sleeves uh, the next week and getting about 20 yards rushing in the first uh, half. Oh, boy. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to touch that one, but... Uh, I think he's going to really try to run up the score. I don't mean that in a negative way, but I mean yeah. I, I think he's going to really go all out. And I, I think I would give this one about, like I say, thirty-five to twenty, something like that. That'd be a, a two. I think it's going to win by two touchdowns or more. Roundabouts, there, thereabouts. All right. So now we've covered the AFC. Oh, we've got them going through. So we've got the Chiefs and the Ravens playing each other in the the championship game. So we move over to the NFC. You've got the Vikings with a. Very surprising win over the Saints. Um, I know there was a little controversy with a possible push-off at the end, but honestly, you think it's going to be a big deal, and the reality is that the Vikings are already sitting deep into Saints territory, and you're like, maybe you shouldn't have let them get there. You know, I feel like the Saints going into that game, I feel like they had to be favored. Yeah, uh, absolutely, you're right. Uh you know, whenever people want to whine about the officiating or the officiating, uh, you know, I always say the same thing, and it's kind of echoing what you're saying. You shouldn't be putting yourself in that position where a questionable call is going to knock you out. I know a lot of people say, oh, sometimes you can't help, it's a close game, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, New Orleans should have had that game on paper. Should have had that game well in hand. And like you say, I mean, the Vikings at least would have had a field goal. It wouldn't have ended the game, but at least minimally they would have had a field goal. They were right there. And the thing is, it was just a questionable call. It wasn't a bad call necessarily. Yeah. It was just kind of eh, maybe, maybe not. I've seen, I've seen lesser push-offs call for pass interference, um, but I've seen you know a lot of bigger ones not called. So, but you shouldn't put yourself in that position. And uh, New Orleans should have at home and everything. They should have just blew those guys off the field. Yeah, I mean, you hate seeing it end like that every single year for Breeze because I keep thinking, you know. They, they go into that round just looking unstoppable, and then it always ends up just kind of blowing up in their face. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, like, I, I don't know what to say much. I didn't actually, I didn't see the game. Yeah, I saw at the it. time because we were out, but, you know, I, I... I saw it. Both teams look like, obviously, they've gotten, they got some points, but, I mean, you really don't expect a 20 from the Saints. No, no, they got nobody to blame but themselves. So I, I don't, like I said, I don't like to blame the ref in situations like that. You know, the 
what was it, uh, last year when they had that controversial uh, pass interference call, uh, went against, uh, you know, should have been called, the Saints receiver got hit and should have been called. You know, that one's really egregious. I, I understand that. But this one was kind of, you know, iffy. Yeah. Um, you know, but they, they let the Vikings hang around. I mean, the Vikings are a good team, don't get me wrong, but they're not in the same class with the Saints as far as all-around completeness. And they, they just should not have gotten themselves in that position. And, yeah. uh, you know, that you want to blame the refs all the time. Well, and so... That game is super not exciting to me with the Vikings winning. So realistically, let's move on to uh, this game is not particularly exciting either. But Seattle, of course, beating the Eagles, but in a real drag, considering the Eagles didn't even have Carson Wentz on board for more than half the game. That had to be, from an artistic standpoint, one of the most boring playoff games ever. (laughs) Other than maybe the last time the Bears played Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, it gets to that point where, I mean, it must have been a real, I mean, I saw a lot of that game, and that game was a real drag. Um, So it puts you in a weird position because you start to think about, um, you start to think about what kind of position it puts them in going forward when they're going to be taking on the Packers uh, this week. And usually that's a real, those games when, you know, the teams that run into each other a lot, um, Seattle and Green Bay, um, I know they usually cause a lot of trouble, so you keep wondering, realistically, are they going to be able to go into that game strong because they've been a team that can really hang with people and hanging with the Eagles with you know Josh McCown at the helm doesn't really inspire confidence. <laughs> no. Well, I, here's the one where I would disagree a little bit with the point spread. Now, Green Bay is favored by four points, according to the point spread I have a Today. They don't beat Seattle all that often when they play Seattle. Yeah, I mean, uh, I this is one that I, I would bet on Seattle. I really would. I don't think they're going to win big. I think they'll win by three points or something like that. But I, I really think even though it's at Green Bay, I get it. Packers have a great record. Seattle didn't look that impressive against the Eagles. I get all that. But I, I really think that Seattle beat Green Bay a very close game. And the reason is Seattle, to me, and this has been true for quite a long time, but certainly this year, their poster child. For Seattle is is a team that that just hangs close with everybody. You know, they play up to the level of their highest opponent, or they play down to the level of their lowest opponent, and that's why they rarely win by many points, yeah. no matter who they're playing. You know, I mean, I don't consider a touchdown a lot of points. Yeah, but they don't win by twenty points. What ends up happening is. They, they want to run the ball. And of course, now they got Marshawn Lynch back and Robert Turbin and, and those guys. Suppose they have a rookie now, uh, Travis Homer. But they try to run the ball, then they end up getting behind, and then all of a sudden they got to start passing, and then you know, in the second half, usually, and all of a sudden they catch up, and then they win. They win by a field goal as time expires. I mean, that's classic Seattle win. Uh, or, or just fall short on the one-inch line like they did against San Francisco. But, but they always follow the same trait, is that they, they try to establish the run, they get behind, and then they start passing, and then, boom, you know, then they end up doing really well. And I, I think they'll beat Green Bay, uh, even though they are uh, Green Bay's favorite by four points. I really do. Seattle's got a really good team. Came within literally one or two inches uh, in that last play against San Francisco, beating them in a critical uh, game and uh, the last game of the year. Well, that's one of those things where they, um, 
Well, maybe it's maybe it's because uh, Aaron Rodgers spends too many times, uh, too much time on his uh, State Farm commercials, <laughs> sla- slamming <laughs> yeah. his agent all the time. Maybe you know because he keeps falling kind of short of these. And as much as like, I f- I mean, it's hard to feel bad because he gets to this point a lot. But they've had a lot of playoff games where they walk in, they run into teams, and they just let them just hand them. And uh, well, to your point, I mean, the fact of the matter is, uh, Rodgers has won one Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, he did win one. That's great, but right now, I mean, he's a Jim McMahon, you know, or a whole host of other quarterbacks have won one Super Bowl. I feel Bowl. like I trust McMahon more in the playoffs. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I I will say, you know, Rodgers has done very well. Rodgers is the classic example of is a really terrific this year. He's a really terrific real-life quarterback, but a very poor fantasy football quarterback. Yeah. He didn't get you many points on fantasy football. Uh, but he plays just well enough to just win. And really, I hate to call him a game manager this year, but really it's a, in a positive way. He's really known what it's taken to win and gets his team there. And he really hasn't had around him the kind of uh, caliber players on offense that he's had in some of the years gone past. Obviously, he's got two superstars uh, with Aaron Jones and then um, the the receiver, um, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. But uh, the rest of the team is, you know, kind of bear-like, you know, in terms of just kind of middle of the road. And But Rodgers has, has really done a, a good job this year. And, of course, they have a great record. But Seattle, you we'll see. But Seattle's shown all year, and it's been true for several years now. But their style of play is is always the same. You know, they 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 need a sense of urgency, and then they just start really you know playing like their hair's on fire and throwing the ball all over the place and really you know going crazy. And that hopefully that'll happen in the Green Bay game. We'll we'll take we'll see if that happens. I mean, I'm putting that score. That score's got to be somewhere around a thirty-one to twenty-eight, yeah, kind of thing where you know both teams are going to put up a decent amount of points, and it's really going to come down to something at the end. I would agree with you. I would go, yeah, I'd go with the Seattle. Say I go with Seattle, uh, maybe thirty-one uh, twenty-seven, maybe. Yeah, I think it ends up falling to something like that. Could be thirty-one twenty-eight, maybe. Um. So I'm hoping the Vikings get their comeuppance because they're going to have to play the 49ers. And something about that game tells me that uh, San Francisco is going to be, uh, if yeah. they play like they've oh, they like they've been playing, I mean, then they're pretty much in the driver's seat for that game. Yeah, Seattle is kind of the NFC equivalent to Baltimore over in the AFC. Is they really have I mean, a San com- Francisco? San Francisco. What did I say? I think you said Seattle. San Francisco is the NFC equivalent to Baltimore's AFC team. They're the most complete team, I think, in the NFC. And they're not unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination, but they have a really, really underrated, but a very good offense, good passing game and running game. And, of course, their defense is one of the best in the league, definitely top, you know, two or three. Yeah. Um, higher rated than Baltimore's, actually. Yeah. And uh, I agree with you. you know, they got, they're got they a seven-point... Uh, Heavy or favorite, according to Vegas. But uh, once again, I've been on San Francisco and give them the touchdown. I, I think it's going to be 10 points plus. Uh, you know, I, I, it may not happen until the second half, but I, I, it'd be hard to imagine. Once again, this is why they play it, you know, yeah. but 
It'd be hard to imagine on paper at least Minnesota hanging around for a whole game and not losing by more than 10. I know it seems like a, a consistent style here, but like you were saying, when the run game is kind of underrated, they really, I mean, they can switch out three different running backs and get relatively similar production out of all three of them. Yeah. Um, Garoppolo's been playing pretty heavy. Kittle's been having an absolute career season. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is fitting in well, the wide receiver position. Uh, they've yeah. got a couple other guys coming along, like uh, Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne doing really well. And, of course, Debo Samuel. Don't forget Debo, him. Debo, yeah. Debo's been uh, really hot. Uh, I don't know how much Pettis is doing, but even when he's in the background, I forgot his first name already. Dante. Dante. There you go. That should have been easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, with your last name and mine. Um, so Dante Pettis, I know he had had some big moments early in the season, but after Sanders had came in, I know he kind of plays more of a supporting role. But if he's got to play, he's doing good. But like you said, I mean, between Debo and even just Debo and Bourne, you've got unbelievable second and third receivers. And Sanders has been due for at least one 40 to 50-yard pass a game where he falls on his back standing wide open and catches an underthrown ball. You know, So he's he's at least good for one of those every game. Yeah, and well, the de- and the defense is it? It's Nick, right? Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa, right? I keep forgetting which Bosa is on. Because there's a Bosa uh, on the LA. On, the other one's on the Chargers. And that's which Bosa is that? Um, I should know. I can't. It'll come back to me. But yeah, go ahead, Joey. Joey Bosa. Yeah. So Nick, Nick's the Nick on San Francisco, though, I mean, San Francisco's defense has been incredible. And I know even, I think, I mean, Sherman's over there, too, right? And uh, yeah, Richard Sherman, Sherman's a cornerback of and he's the been, 49ers D, yeah. yeah. And he's been playing pretty well. He's had a few good games with some interceptions and playing some pretty tight coverage. So, like, you know, you talk about, like, all these teams that keep coming here and the teams that we really want to tout are teams where you've got, you know, complete teams you've got. San Francisco, where the offense and the defense can both hold their ground. Baltimore, um, Seattle, when they feel the urgency to do it, can hold it. And then the Chiefs, even maybe if it's even just one dimension, the reality, though, is that they can hit you anywhere. And now you've got McColl uh, Hardman showing some intense power on returns you yeah. know, with the Chiefs. And now they've got the special teams covered as well. So, I mean, this game... I have to believe the 49ers win this game at least by seven, but my guess is that this game could be 10 points and it could get much worse than that for the Vikings real fast. Yeah, and like I say, I I know playoff games tend to be fairly close, but I I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being like 27 to 10 or something like that or 27-14. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, 10 to 14 point victory for 49ers. Here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's somewhere where I'm going there. And I think it's either, it's either that or it's only going to get worse for the Vikings. I think where they start taking a really commanding lead and just completely blow them out. If the Vikings can't don't hold themselves up early. I think the only way, the only way the Vikings win that game, I don't even know if cook's going to be in the game. I know he was hurt before. Yeah, I don't know exactly what his status is off the top of my head. Now, they do have some pretty good backups over there in case he can't go. I, I, I think he's good to go from last I assume Saturday. Thielen is still active. Yeah, I believe he's still good to go as he's well. hiding in the 
he's hiding in the stat book somewhere, but he's but he is active. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, if anything, the last game uh, Minnesota we mentioned beating uh, the Saints, uh, at least it, it did get some critics of the quarterback off his back. Uh, they always said he couldn't win the big game, and he, you know he did show that he could. But if they lose, they're not going to be. If they lose against San Francisco and go home, obviously they're not going to be turning cartwheels, but at least they got some monkey off their back there from beating the Saints last week. He's really fortunate they don't play playoff games on Mondays, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, They move it to there. He's he's done. He's over. Let me say one final thing, you know, circling back. uh, We talk about the Saints blaming the rest for their game last week. You know, the one thing I, I, I really would like to see reviewed is the overtime rules themselves, though. And by that, I mean, I can see during the regular season, in fact, they, they shortened, several years ago, they shortened the overtime from 15-minute full quarter to 10 minutes because they don't want you know, people to get hurt and beat up. I, I get all that. So regular season, I wouldn't change anything. But for the playoffs, kind of similar to hockey, where hockey has different rules for the playoffs versus the regular season. You know, they do a full period. I'd like to see the NFL do it where each team gets a possession no matter what, yeah. even if a touchdown scored, just for the playoffs. Because you do. Yeah, you shouldn't have put yourself in that position, but literally the Saints didn't get a chance to touch the ball. Uh, so however you do it, and some people are saying, you know, do it similar to college where you, you take the ball at the 25-yard line and run some plays and see what you can do. But at least I like to see each team at least you know get the opportunity to possess the ball in the playoffs. Yeah. There's such big stakes involved. So. Well, if you like that, then you might, you might want to tune into uh, the XFL which starts yeah. which starts February eighth. <laughs> um, talking about rule changes, I know that they they've been describing the various methods of which that they've decided to change the game a bit, and um, they have one, two, and three point conversions after touchdowns. Yeah, I saw that. They started talking about double forward passes, um, various punting and kickoff rules that are going to change. And then the overtime they were talking about just for the game's period was supposed to be more of a, a soccer style, like um, penalty kicks sort of thing. But obviously in the playing football sense of doing that, where more team where teams would get more of like, you know, chances each to try and hit the end zone, like an equal amount and see how many times they can convert. Um, I don't know what the salaries are with that, but everyone always keeps talking about all the great things about it. And I know at the end of the day, they're they're willing to offer someone like fifty to sixty thousand dollars to play in that league. And they're like, eh, I don't, I just don't know if anyone's willing to play for that amount. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you know, wrestling is notoriously bad at offering health care for people, <laughs> and they're also going to pay you nothing to play. No, there'd be uh, you'd be surprised. I mean, as you there's there's a ton of people that'll want to play in the XFL uh, because first of all, a lot of those players they're not really playing for money. You know, they just absolutely love football, and they're going to play no matter what. Plus, the thing is, is that you know they're hoping an NFL scout will see them and offer to put them on the practice squad. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And the other thing too Maybe is the Patriots can finally find another quarterback. Yeah, they'll find their quarterback there. Yeah, and the other thing too is that. Uh, the thing is that they look at what well, what's their alternatives, you know, it's either that or get a nine to five job. So, uh, but really, the love of the game, I think, they just like to be out there. And for them, you know, fifty thousand's a bonus for now. These are guys who thought that they'd have to get a real job, you know, 
after school or something, and I can play in the XFL. But, you know, they, they keep putting league after league together to try to compete with the NFL. And uh, although some leagues did succeed in the past to varying degrees, uh, the most famous being the AFL, but I tell you, the, the only the ones N- that remain successful are the ones that actually merged with the NFL yeah, at some I, point. I got to tell you, at this point in time, the NFL is so ridiculously powerful. Uh, it's really a daunting task. I certainly welcome, I give them all the credit in the world, the XFL and other leagues that have challenged them. I go for it. You know, and I think these rule changes, we'll see how they work out. You got to do something different, you know, yeah. attract something, you know, different from the NFL. But it's going to be a daunting challenge. It's going to be an uphill battle. Okay, so we've got. So at this point, we have the Ravens, Chiefs, Seattle, and the 49ers all going forward at this point. That's the next four, so at least by our prediction standards. Right, so Kansas City would be at Baltimore, and Baltimore has the best record, and then Seattle would be at San Francisco. So what do you think about that? Um, I think it was something like that, and I think obviously I, both of those games, obviously we just saw Seattle and in San Francisco really come down to just not putting Marshawn Lynch on the field immediately and just quickly plunging it in. And to be fair, I mean, didn't they have to actually down the ball at the one I thought they had to spike it to stop the clock first, and then they ran out of time on the play clock afterwards. Um, yeah, that, that had remember, to be one, one, of the biggest, yeah. one of the biggest regular season blunders I've seen recently is when they, they got a penalty for delay of game uh, on, on the one-yard one line. On the one with you know less than a minute left I, in the I game. Think, I thought, I didn't even realize, I don't, you may be right about the spike, I don't remember, but I thought they had a first down in the one, maybe it was a second down, but... But I mean, they were able, theoretically, they could have run a number of plays. And I, th- I think what they had done was they had spiked it. And yeah. when he walked Maybe up, when he, when he walked up to line up for it, um, I, I, think I, he, I was thinking, I thought it, he, no, think about this. I think he completed a pass yeah. to Hollister, the tight end, and he got tackled at the one. I think that's what happened. They, they had first down on the one. Okay. And then, and then they were walking around real slow and confused. And then they got a penalty because, because they had no timeouts. So well, they couldn't call timeouts, so they got a penalty for delay of game, and now they're on the six. Yeah. Well, they they were now, they, I know they were looking at it, and basically um, even the announcer was saying at the time, oh, I would just line everyone up real quick. I would just have, I'd either pretend you were going to spike it or I would do something else, right. you, and you could just have I think that's why. I, that's in. why you're remembering the spike, you're, because that they were telling that they should do it. And, and they, they were saying, one. well, the other person was saying what you really should do is you should just line everyone up and have Wilson just plunge in real quick, just catch him off guard and go for it. Or obviously, if you really want to get Marshawn in there, I mean, you got to have him loaded, ready to go. And obviously, like, they ran out of time. But yeah, well, the first Hold down on. at the one, though, there's no excuse. Like I said, worst thing you could at least you know, spike the ball, give yourself time. You got three shots at the end zone from the one. You got to be able to make it. But taking that penalty was kind of idiotic. We're going to take a quick little commercial break here to see what <laughs> happened at the end of the Seattle-San Francisco game. <laughs> All right, the video has been reviewed, and we're both right. So pass to the one. Clock still runs. It's a first down, not a touchdown. Um, and then, And then obviously Wilson quickly tries to spike it, and then they run out of time. 
And the next play. On the next play. Yeah. Out of the penalty. Play clock, after you literally spike and stop the clock. But that makes it more idiotic. Yeah. You know, you spiked and you got all the time in the world and then you get a delay a game penalty. And then, uh, like I say, a couple of incompletions and then they, com- then they completed the pass to Hollister and he got tackled like three inches short of the goal line. They had to review it for a half an hour to make sure. So, I mean, I, I think... That game is going to be really tight, and that game is probably going to come down to something. I say it's either going to be tight, and maybe Seattle comes away with it, or San Francisco just runs the game, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, and, like I say, I, I I'd have to favor San Francisco, but but I don't think anyone's going to like trounce Seattle because of what I was saying earlier. Just the nature of that team is they get behind it, and all of a sudden they start chucking the ball all over the place and play with their hair on fire and. Till they catch up and they either fall just short or just over, you know, usually by three or four points. Because wow. That sense of urgency, they just go nuts in the second half, yeah. Seattle. It's a strange team. It's good that way, but it's a strange situation. Well, and then as far as the Baltimore and Chiefs game, I think that's going to be a, I think that's going to be a shootout. Those teams are probably going to go crazy. And as much as I, I mean, I'm a, I love the Chiefs and I want to see them, you know, move on. Um, it's looking eerily like you're going to get a rematch of the Kaepernick Joe Flacco Super yeah. Bowl. Um, maybe a little more interesting this time with Lamar Jackson and uh, Garoppolo at the helms. Um, I, it's not out of the realm of any possibility to see Lamar Jackson winning a Super Bowl this year. No, not at all. I think that's. That was my prediction. I, I think they they'll, they will be Kansas City in the AFC Championship. It'll probably be a high scoring affair. You know, even though Baltimore does have a good defense, but Kansas City is outstanding uh, offensively. Especially I think I think passing. Kansas, yeah, Kansas City's defense is probably going to end up letting him down. Yeah, I think that's the difference to me is the defenses. Uh, Baltimore is better than Kansas City, and then like you say, Baltimore, San Francisco, and Super Bowl now. And that one, like I say, that's a flip a coin. They did, play, I, I, they did play earlier in the year. Baltimore did edge him out in San Francisco, and I think they will again. I think Baltimore will win the Super Bowl only because, like I say, they're the most complete team in the NFL. So I think you're going to have an interesting scenario because there's a part of me that wants to go with them, but I have this feeling... And obviously this feeling is going to be completely dismantled if Seattle loses this week. But assuming that my I'm keeping with my predictions and they make it ahead, I'm thinking maybe you end up with a Ravens-Seattle kind of Super Bowl. Yeah. And that could be a very interesting one if they play, like you say, to the level that, you know, they're being, their opponent is giving them and maybe they end up still just falling a little short. But maybe they can kind of they can give Baltimore's defense a run for their money. But 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 San Francisco is much more powerful now than they were when they played Baltimore the first time. If it ends up being a San Francisco Baltimore. Mm. They've established a little more of their run game. I don't think Sanders was even on the team the first time around. Yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I in fact, I guess say one quick thing. Sanders has been good and I I understand I understand why they picked him up. But if I was to be really I gotta be perfectly honest, they probably didn't need him. Because of the the explosion and the emergence of Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, which I think is happening a little more now, and what you could argue is that 
If they're taking the field at the same time, you could argue that the explosion of Debo Samuel is because somebody has to take Emmanuel Sanders yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's quite possible. I'm, I'm not saying that was a bad move. I understand why they got him. But because of uh, Debo Samuel and then um, the guy you mentioned earlier, uh, Kendrick, Kendrick Bourne, I mean, those guys have really emerged. And, of course, like you say, Kittle has been fantastic. Um, so it's good to get him. But, yeah. I mean, I think he just really is not that critical because he's had several games where he's had hardly any catches, uh, Sanders. He had one super gigantic game where he got three touchdowns. But, I mean, other than that... Most of his games consist of... It's, it's always an underthrown ball that's about 40 to 50 yards down the field, and he falls on his butt after catching it. And, you know, and obviously it's it's explosive. You know, it's an explosive play to any time you bust that kind of yardage out. But, yeah, definitely not having much of those kind of three touchdowns, couple touchdowns kind of games. But, again, he might be, he might be able to draw some attention away from... I mean, obviously Kittle's been pulling more people in, too, and that also probably plays into... Samuel and Bourne's absolutely uh, presence, and then obviously if they're going out, the running backs are benefiting from it as well. Yeah, a lot of throws to the running backs too. All of them, like you said, they have three really great ones or good ones. Yeah, and really Mostert uh, emerging has been yeah something really big for them because I know Brita had some inter- uh, injury concerns earlier in the year, but between him, Coleman, and Mostert, you have a real, uh, real good shuffling backfield. Oh, for absolutely. any case you need. Absolutely. And they're they're all kind of the same. They're all kind of the same in terms of the quality of where you think about. I mean, their blocking is fine, but they're all good pass catching, good speed, good power kind of backs. And that, I know that kind of fits that offense a little more. Yeah, you talk about a good situation. Uh, the guy they got, whose name escapes you right now, maybe you can remember the guy they got last year actually to be the star running back, not even on the field and wasn't on the field of last year. So these three backs have really kind of taken over. That Hyde? Uh, no, no, not Hyde. Hyde. Uh, that was name of He used to be on the Vikings before the, the year before. He came to the 49ers last year. He got injured. People listening to this will know who it is, but I, I got a mental block about his name right now. But he can't even get on the field, uh, even if he was healthy. I don't know that he could break that that starting lineup. So, yeah, and so it's it it definitely. I mean, uh, when you talk more about a depth chart kind of thing, I know the I know like the Ravens have it too, and other people have it. And the reality is, you're talking about. I mean, Baltimore still having to play two more games to get to a Super Bowl, and then playing the Super Bowl. There's always any moment, and if if Lamar Jackson's gone, they're screwed. Yeah, if Lamar Jackson were to get injured tomorrow and not be able to play, then you'd have to change all your projections, frankly. Because even though Baltimore has a good team, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson's the engine that is running the team right now. Um, so actually, you know, to kind of summarize your point, I mean, the good news is you look at this lineup and any of these teams could be in the Super Bowl quite easily. I certainly would have to say I'll you know, favor Baltimore and San Francisco, but, you know, Kansas City certainly, Seattle certainly. Uh, maybe Green Bay. I mean, all these teams could very easily, even Houston, all those teams could easily be in the Super Bowl. I, I do say, I think, I think Tennessee and Minnesota are kind of the, the weaklings of the yeah. of the group, but, you know, you just never know. Any given Sunday, yeah. to be honest. You just so, never know. Well, I, I, for, I completely forgot about Kyle Juszczyk as well. Yeah. His emergence as a, as a receiver and runner has been pretty great. Are you talking about Jarek McKinnon? 
McKinnon, yeah, that's who I was thinking of. He was he was brought over to the 49ers last year to be the starting running back. And he got injured, missed the whole season. Might be I'm not sure. He might and be they have Jeffrey now. Wilson. I completely forgot about Wilson. As Jeff well. Wilson. I think he spent most of his time on the practice league until uh, uh, Breida got hurt. Then they they brought him up, and he yeah. he scored a bunch of touchdowns he's, this yeah, year. I mean, he's been he's done just fine. Pretty much, they've been able to fill anyone into that role. Well, anyway, so we've got we've got a little different predictions on the Super Bowl, but not too far different. Uh, I assume the 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 summation of this is it's quite possible that Lamar Jackson could walk away with the Super Bowl this year. That's the general assumption of this prediction. Yeah, far, obviously far from certain because it's the NFL, but I it, I would be a surprise if he doesn't at this point. Uh, I assume they'll at least be the team that comes out of the AFC. Yeah, yeah. I, like I say the fun thing is you got a bunch of really good teams. Like Kansas City could easily upset them, but yeah, you'd have to favor Baltimore and San Francisco. Not so sure because I agree with you. I, Seattle can beat them. They beat they beat them earlier this year. Seattle won and one and lost. They them. almost beat them again. <laughs> so Seattle can easily you know Seattle can easily be the Super Bowl representative. I, I but I'd get the slight edge to San Francisco mostly because they're at home. Yeah. Uh, you know Baltimore, I'd give a little more of an edge over Kansas City, but Kansas City could easily beat them and go in the Super Bowl. And although, you know, Green Bay has a shot, but I... Both of those games are... Both of those games are clearly the games you want to see. Yeah. I think when when it comes to conference, you know, championship games, I'm assuming that those are the two matchups you want. And hopefully, hopefully we get it and it's not a... Uh, well, our... So the Titans are going through the Ravens. I guess technically if the Titans and Kansas City duke it out... Later, we know that that actually produced a pretty tight game earlier this season, so that might not be so bad. But you definitely want to see, I think, obviously, some a rivalry like a San Francisco Seattle. I mean, that's something you really want to see play, or even like Green Bay San Francisco back in the '90s. That was more of a dueling style, watching those two, you know, play in yeah. higher levels. Um, so there's a lot of good matchups to be had, and you still have. Uh, you have mostly young quarterbacks left at this point. I mean, obviously, uh, Rodgers is kind of, you know, at the helm of kind of the, the older quarterbacks still left in competition. Um, yeah, Rodgers lost Brady uh, and Breeze, so it's kind of, you know. Yeah, it's funny. Rodgers is kind of the old man now of the of the playoff group that's, that's still alive and uh, hard to believe, but I think Russell Wilson is probably the second uh, <laughs> longest tenured quarterback. It depends on how old Tannehill is. Yeah, maybe and Cousins is not the youngest either. Yeah, I I uh, I'd have to look it up to be sure, but I, I think Wilson might be the second. But anyway, that, that, it's a new guard, which is a good thing. Yeah, I like seeing. I think that's the most worrisome thing for me. Growing up in this age was worrying that you might end up in a position where, like, you've watched a lot of great quarterbacks go, and now you realize you're kind of in the throes of losing Brady, losing Breeze, losing. Aaron Rodgers in, in a couple of years, you know, and you're worried that you know, who's going to really take that over. And then you watch Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, you watch Deshaun Watson and all that. You just kind of watch these guys kind of step up. And then medium range quarterbacks, you know, Wilson and Tannehill and people who are in their late 20s or so, you know, like those kind of quarterbacks, you know, you still got time with them. Um, but it's really good to see it and see how far they can really take it this point but hopefully we get some 
Hopefully we get some good games this weekend, and hopefully next weekend's games are made better by those reactions. Yeah. Um, so I know we had this segment the first time we were together. Um, thing about my dad is my dad is a, is a fact machine. <laughs> fact with F-A-C-T. I don't want that to get confused because of my enunciation. He's not a fat machine. Um, so the thing about him is there's a lot of things where, uh, he can bring a lot of these different trivia and a lot of facts to the conversation. And a lot of times, uh, he can really hand you some very, uh, interesting tidbits. Um, so I noticed you got papers in front of you and I'm sure the radio audience notices you have papers in front of you. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not embarrassed to say I need, I need papers in front of me. <laughs> You need, need to bring a tablet with you or yeah, something. I, I had a paper in front of me earlier, or, and I still announced one mismatch in the playoffs. So <laughs> I need—I'm not ashamed to say I've got papers in front of me. You need to get a—you need to get a real phone that you can put all this on and bring it with you. Um, but I know I'm going to end up missing this, messing this one up. But it's—you, uh, I think you remembered it. What it's called? And now I'm just completely drawing a blank. Oh. <laughs> Oh, you mean you like might not. Was it some things you might not realize? Things or? you might not realize. That so. Here's another segment with a things you might not realize with my dad Joe Dante. <laughs> uh, well, it's just kind of a miscellaneous fact. I've had it may not even stay in sports, frankly, but uh, just a miscellaneous thing. If, if then don't, don't read it. That's okay. Let's keep going. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do your thing. But uh, yeah, just things that are kind of interesting factoids from the past. Uh, just. Kind of quickly, and I'm going to go into the realm of hockey. We haven't talked about too it. quickly, and the, the less talking I do, the better. We haven't uh, <laughs> we haven't done hockey. We don't do a lot of hockey on the show, and we like hockey. Um, probably not found it really closely right now here in Chicago because the Blackhawks aren't doing really well. But I, I do watch the games. But uh, here's a, here's a tidbit. See if you can guess this. Riddle me this, Jay. If you look at and we're still in it. This year still counts, you know, the year to the hockey year to date. Okay. But from 2010, from 2010 to the present. So we're talking about the, the, the decade of the 2010s. Who do you think in the NHL has scored the most goals? I know you don't really follow hockey that carefully, so the audience shouldn't really. Well, I was going to say that at this point, at this point, you're getting to a point where if it's not a Blackhawk, then it's probably going to be. Do I get any clues? There's no, there's no <laughs> clues. <laughs> Although, what would that, what would that prove? Um, well, I know Kane's up there in goals. I know Ovechkin's is also up there in goals. Uh, TJ Oshie, I think, is also a particularly large goal scorer. I'm going to say John Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's probably the leader in penalty minutes. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. oh, you meant score. You meant the most goal scored, not the most people not, punched. Yeah, I don't mean like the boxing score. <laughs> he, he probably has the highest boxing score of the decade. The most, the most, the most. Anyway, the I, most I was going to say, yeah, for people who who follow the NHL closely, you probably don't need to look at the paper to know it's it's Alexander Ovechkin. Okay, he's there the big, go. he's the big goal scorer, and uh, he has a pretty significant lead. Uh, He's got uh, 415 goals uh, in this 10 years so far. 
In second place, guy only has 336, and believe it or not, it's Steven Stamkos. Uh, so, is he on the Kings? Mm, I don't you don't, you don't have that information have in, front in front of, of me. Of Obviously, Ovechkin's on the Capitals. Stamkos, yeah. I forgot what the, the only The only reason I would know that is by playing NHL, and I got drafted by the Kings, and I think Stamkos is on the Kings. Don't, so don't go out and make any bets on that. So that's the... Uh, that's the most goals. So who do you think has the most points during the decade? You know, points, of course, yeah, is goals plus assists. Yeah. Well, they got to have assists, too. It could be Taze. I'm, I'm going to go with Jonathan Taze. Well, it's actually your, your earlier thought. It's actually Patrick Kane. Kane. Patrick oh, Kane yeah, has he, the he most points. He's kind of an assist machine, too. Yeah, he's an assist machine, uh, he's got 304 goals, 459 assists for 763 points, and he will he will be the points leader when this year is over. This year will officially close the decade of the 2010s. Yeah. And because he has, he has 763 points, the second place guy only has 727, so he's not going to catch up this year. The second yeah. place guy is Sidney Crosby of the Penguins, mm. and of course Vetchkin is third. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, once again, if you're out at the bars and you ask somebody who has the most points, you know, goals is pretty easy. Alex Ovechkin, we know he's the goal scoring machine. But ask somebody who has the most points, and uh, you know, be hard pressed to figure that one out. Patrick Kane, though, has the most points of this decade. Now, one thing though, I got to toss in because Jonathan Taze is up here in the top. You know, they put out the top fifty or so. Uh, Jonathan Taze is number 17 on overall points. Wow. So that's still really good. Yeah, that's true. And uh, Taze, uh, let me make sure I'm looking at the right thing. (laughs) He's number 15 on the goal scoring list. So he's still doing quite well, but obviously he slowed down a little bit on the point scoring in the last few years. And, yeah, I think uh, that's more of a team thing than Yeah, well, Taze, Taze I, don't, I don't think his skills have gone down whatsoever. I think it's more, he doesn't, we talked about this, I think, a while back. He just doesn't have the line mates. You know, and, his, and Taze's prime when they were winning three Stanley Cups, I mean, his line mates were Patrick Sharp and Marion Hosa. Yeah. And these are guys that would score 30 goals apiece. At least at least one of which who's probably going to end up, I mean, they have. do they have a Hall of Fame? Yeah. I mean, Hosa for sure, Hall of Fame. Yeah, maybe, maybe not uh, Sharp, but he certainly is an excellent player. He could be player. on that list, I'm sure, statistically. Yeah, he'd be on the waiting list, certainly. So, you know, he's got these great line mates, and they scored a whole bunch of goals and points. Well, he just, you know, he doesn't have that anymore. Uh, there's no slight to the guys he has today, but, you know, he's it, playing it's with hard, two It's hard to play with, a, with a, a for sure Hall of Famer and possible hall of famer and honestly the whole team at the time really being like uh, lines filled with guys who aren't hall of famers necessarily but at the time they were winning all those championships any line that walked out there you know could put away points and that was one of those things where i mean you could really wear them down and if you can wear them down taze and company can go out and do you know wreak even more havoc on them so like um it was a fun, that was a fun, I, f- I forgot how many years it all encompasses. I know there was three championships, but it's a four or five years. I forgot the total years. Well, it, it basically but. covers, uh, the, the Stanley Cup years basically cover, I think, six seasons. From 2010 to the 2015 season, 
Went they like back, almost back to back, and then they waited a while. No, they won a they cup. The they one. won a cup, and then two years without a cup, and then they won again. Then they missed it, and then they won again. So I think it covered like six seasons, but but they came within a hair. They came within a hair of, of winning still another cup. You know, they got eliminated by the Kings at home in overtime, game seven, and a deflected goal. The guy from the point tossed the puck in and hit somebody. I think it hit the Hawks, the Hawks defenseman's body and went in the net. I think if the Hawks had won that game, uh, they no doubt it, they would have won the cup, the final. Well, those are easily those those are the most depressing moments. Anytime you see someone get some kind of a bad deflection, yeah. especially when it happens in soccer and you actually get credit for it, <laughs> <laughs> it sits in your stat line as an own goal for a while. Yeah, they do that differently in hockey. There's no such thing as an own goal. You know, if it deflects off a defenseman, then usually the guy who last touched it gets credit. On offense, gets credit. But yeah, in soccer, you're kind of on the walk of shame there, aren't you? When you, <laughs> you get an own goal and it goes in the score sheet. Uh, last thing though, this is very important. I, I will say one thing: the scoring is important, obviously. Goals is, but to me, one of the most important stats in hockey is the plus-minus which measures how many goals are scored for your team when you're on the ice versus the ones that are scored against you. Now, obviously, it's not an individual statistic, so a lot depends on how good your team is. So if you're on a really lousy team, chances are even if you're really a star player, you might have a bad plus-minus. But, you know, if you're comparing people who are on the same team, then it's probably more of an indication of how all-around good players are. So... I give an example. Even though I, I love Patrick Kane, I love them both, Patrick Kane and Taze. But Kane has got him beat on the scoring, but in plus minus, Jonathan Taze during the decade is number four. He has a plus uh, one forty four, and Kane is not even on the list in the huh. top fifty. I think he's around fifty something. I, I looked it up a while back. I mean, I don't remember his line from the older. Part of the time, but I think a lot of times I think Kane's line gets stuck with some interesting characters sometimes just because I think they assume that Kane can lift them up a little bit. I know Tay is at times, Tay's can be a little more of a defensive player than Kane can be. Yeah, I mean, he's so obviously that probably helps your plus minus. Well, if you have someone on the ice who can kind of slow down the goal production on the other side. Well, Taves has won the Selkie Trophy before as as you know defensive forward or all around forward. In fact, I'll tell you that the next hawk on the list or longtime hawks Duncan Keith at number thirty six, a plus minus of eighty. And like I say, I just from memory I looked it up a few months ago. I think Kane's in the fifties if I recall, which isn't bad, but. But the point is that plus minus is is all things being equal if you're on the same team is really an indicator that you're a pretty good player if you're if you're way up there generally in the plus minus. And plus minus for me, like obviously, I mean the plus side of it obviously is you scoring more, but a lot of times creating creating a heavier plus minus obviously can also be more an indication of your defensive skill. Absolutely, a lot to kind of at least prevent yourself from having to score as many goals. Because of that, and obviously, like you said, I mean, for a while, he's on a line with a lot of people who can score a lot. You know, he's with Hosa or someone who can score him, him and Sharp, who can score, and he's more of a defensive forward. Absolutely. Um, so that kind of helps him out. But that's, yeah, I mean, I assume uh, among a lot of stats of the last decade, and if you 
bring that back even just a couple years before the decade. You know, a lot of those stat lines tend to lean a lot towards those too. You can see why they why they so heavily invest in them. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, obviously, if you win a bunch of cups, you're going to have some players that are high on a lot of these lists. And uh, that's why you're going to see a lot of penguins on the list. But they, I mean, but they are very special players. I mean, my assumption is that both of them will, will find their way into yeah a Hall of Fame vote. Yeah, they'll both they'll both eventually make the Hall of Fame. I don't think it'll be first ballot, but they'll, they'll both eventually get the Hall of Fame, uh, barring catastrophic injury. And they'll eventually they'll have statues, you know, in, in front of the United Center. It's like yeah. they've got Bobby Hall and Stan Makita. They'll eventually have you know matching statues of Taze and Kane. Uh, that's a for sure thing because, you of, because have, of the three you cups. Have to do that. What did you? <laughs> why did you leave cups? them around this long if you weren't going to build no, statues? But I mean, but I mean, even if they got, even if they both got killed in a plane crash tomorrow, I think you'd see the statues because of the uh, they won the three cups, uh, which no one's ever come close to doing. I mean, there's no dynamic duo that. I suppose there might have been some overlap between the 1934 and 1938 Blackhawks, but. <laughs> But they certainly not of the caliber of uh, a bunch of bums who just happened to stick together. They kind of accidentally won the cup both those years because uh, <laughs> they certainly were not the best team either year. Uh, but that was still in the throws. Well, it was more in the 40s and 50s, but we cover that on another session. It's certainly not a time that I think of Chicago as a hockey powerhouse. It's no, that, those were during the sad years, mostly 40s and 50s, but maybe late 30s, where they, there was some overlap between the Detroit Red Wing ownership and the Blackhawk ownership. And uh, it was dominated by the Red Wings. So they made a bunch of goofy trades over the years that really helped. So take top talent from the Blackhawks and put them on the Red Wings. <laughs> so the Red Wings were a powerhouse for a good part of the year, and the Hawks were always lousy because it always... I always wondered how in the world, you know, from that 1926 to 1966, the Blackhawks never once, in a six-team league, they never once finished in first place. How could that be? It does seem awfully uh, Even though they won three cups. But, yeah, it's because they were, for 25 years or so, they were perpetually made bad by what would be an illegal ownership right now. You couldn't, you'd have a conflict of interest. Uh, It was the Norris family. Uh, who ironically eventually bought the controlling interest in the Hawks after they divested of the Red Wings. But So it, they would never be allowed today, obviously, in any sport. But uh, it, it's one of the goofiest situations of all time, and, and, it's, and it existed, like i say, mostly in the 40s and 50s, maybe a little bit later. It lasted about 20-odd years. And uh, But that is, that's the reason. You want to tell your buddies why the Hawks never finished in first place back then. Finally, the, the last year... Ironically, of the six teams league, Docs finished in first place. So they finally <laughs> overcame it. But, I mean, yeah, you have Bobby Hall and Stan Makita and a whole host of Hall of Famers on this team. Okay. I'll let you finish. How about uh, just like Kane has the most points of this decade, who had, I'm going back, in 1990s now, this is a prime era for baseball, who do you think had the most base hits, the most hits in baseball? And all those superstar players. I'll tell you who it's not. The player who you probably would think it is is Tony Gwynn. You know, being, he's the hit machine, but it's not Tony Gwynn, believe it or not. Oh, Jesus, the 90s. Um, A lot of superstars played in that year. Well, I almost wanted to go. I almost, I almost went uh, Ichiro, but I forgot he was kind of late. 
90s, so he's yeah, not gonna he's not yeah, gonna build up totals. Yeah, he in the was 90s. more late nineties, two thousand. Um, I think he's still playing now. I think he just put in an appearance last year, yeah. but he's not really playing in the Major League Baseball anymore. Um, oh Jesus! Just trying to, and you know, and it's funny because the nineties is really more my my last real foray foray into baseball. Um. <sighs> That's the earliest you go. I don't know. I was, was going to say something like a Mark Grace. A Mark Grace. That's right. <laughs> Believe it or not, of all the people, all these superstars, Mark Grace was a, was a star. I mean, he was yeah. a good player. But uh, Mark Grace, 1,754 hits, second place Rafael Palmero, 1,747, Craig Biggio, and then Tony Gwynn in fourth place, 1,713. So yeah, all Biggio ending close. up on that list made sense. Uh, but I will tell you just a tidbit. Rafael Palmero started as a Cub, and he actually hit 307 one year in limited play, and they traded him. They traded him for Mitch Williams, basically, <laughs> who you know was decent for one year. And, of course, Palmero, he's not in the Hall of Fame only because of his potential steroid abuse, but he hit over 500, well over 500 home runs. Yeah. But if it wasn't for... Mark Grace blossoming in the 90s and, and taking over that first base role for Palmero, the Cubs would have had their heads bashed in for 15, 20 years about how stupid it was to trade away a Palmero because he was known, he, didn't, you know, he wasn't known for quite the power that he eventually had, but he was known as being a really good player. So we got it documented. Most points uh, in the NHL, Kane, most hits of the 90s, Mark Grace. So like I say, some buyer bets you can win. Here's one that's not factual. But it's my opinion, the worst trade. This one you can't win. You can't win any. You can't bets, win any bar bets on this. But the worst trade in all of sports history. There's been a lot of bad ones, and I'm going to say my opinion, and uh, and some people debate if this is even the worst trade that the Blackhawks ever made. Uh, but the worst trade in all of sports history, I believe, to be way back on May fifteenth, nineteen sixty seven. When the Chicago Blackhawks traded Phil Esposito, Ken Hodges, and Fred Stanfield to the Boston Bruins for Gilles Marat, Pitt Martin, and Jack Norris. And, of course, Esposito went on to win the scoring title five times after that, <laughs> including a 76-goal season. Uh, uh, Kenny Hodges had two 100-point seasons. And basically, you could see this. The Hawks really were never, I mean, they were a good team, but they were never never won a championship. The Bruins won two cups. Of course, they had the addition of Bobby Orr. They won two cups, you know, were a powerhouse for years to come. That that trade just transformed their entire team because Boston in the mid-60s was, was bad. You know, before they got Bobby Orr and Esposito and that, the, the Boston of 66, 67, that was a bad team. That was a last-place type team. So anyway, one final now, this is a factual question. So this is when big-time bar bets involved here. And I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to the screen now this time. And there's only one guy who fits this bill. Name me an actor or actress who's appeared in five or more films where all of his or her films, everyone they appeared in, was nominated for Best Picture in the Academy Awards. That's in a pretty incredible career. Every film you appeared in, you had to be five or more, but an actor or actress, every film you appeared in, 
They won the, they didn't win, but they, they were nominated for the Academy Award. Actually, I'll tell you, there were three wins, too. Marlon Brando. Good guess, but no, he made some stinkers. <laughs> um, you can win a ton of bar bets on this one. No Al one Pacino. Ever, no one will ever get it. Now, the problem with those guys is they made so many films that you're going to make some stinkers. You know, you have to get somebody who's got a short resume. Oh, okay. So, okay. So it's not just that you won like five of them in a row. It's that. No, no I'm saying every, every movie every, you made. Every movie the person made was nominated for Academy Award for Best Picture. Well, it's got to be somebody. So it's got to be someone with a short resume. Well, it's also got to be somebody. It's got to be somebody off. But you have to have five or more. Where do you, do they have to be? So they were just in a picture. They were in a movie, and they the were movie in it, yeah. got nominated. And the movie got nominated. And it wasn't like, they didn't have to be like the Best Actor mm. Award or anything like no, that. No, 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 just nominated for Best Picture. Just literally in the movie that got nominated. They were in the movie. But if I was an actor or actress, and, and every movie I acted in, even if I wasn't the big star, if every movie I acted in was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, I'd be pretty happy with it. Well, of course, but I'm, but I'm waiting for this. Like I'm thinking like, okay, you know some big names or something like that. And you're going to give me somebody who played a bunch of background roles in things that he just it's someone, happened to It's be someone who you it. know, but you probably don't have the person's name on your lips. But then we, you know, because it's not a huge star, but it's a well-known person. I mean, at least was well-known back in the day. Short resume, huh? Oh, jeez. I'll give you. Well, I'll tell you. I'll give you. It's a. It's a male, and the person's girlfriend was actually much more famous than he was. <laughs> As it turns out, I don't know. I'm gonna I, have to I, tell you. It's gotta... probably. It probably goes under our old heading of an NFW. You know, where the N is no and the W is way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we used to call questions NFWs. Um, the actor's name, drum roll, John Cazale. They say, John Cazale, his name's somewhere. No, he played Fredo in the Godfather movies. Oh, so He close. was the, the weak brother. I was, in, I was in the right movie. Yeah, he anyway. played Fredo Corleone, who was the, the he was older than, than the Pacino. Is he, uh, the, one brother, that, is he the one that moves to, yeah, he uh, moved starts to, up the business in like Vegas right. or... Right, starts up the business, but eventually gets uh, ordered, killed by, by his brother. Right now. Yeah, he gives, him, he gives him the death kiss. You know, Al Pacino gives him the death kiss in Godfather 2. But here's the, this is fascinating. At the time, although she wasn't world famous, but she was known, her, his, the reason he has a short resume, he only has five movies on his resume, is because he died. He died, unfortunately, of lung cancer. Well, that'll do it. In 1978. So he only had really a few years in the 70s where he was really in movies. So he has a short <laughs> resume. But listen to this. How would you like this? These are the five movies he was in. The Godfather, The Conversation, which starred Gene Hagman. Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon. Which, say, he, probably, he, would, he wouldn't have this resume if he had been in Godfather 3. I assume that was not nominated no. for well, anything. No, Godfather was like like around the early 90s. He was long dead by then, fortunately yeah. for him, I guess. Yeah. And The Deer Hunter. So all five films nominated 
for Academy Award for Best Picture and three wins, Godfather, Godfather 2, and Deer Hunter all won the Academy Award. And um, his girlfriend's name, who would become much more famous than him a few years later, Meryl Streep. So, yeah, yeah, in, I would say that's, yeah. In his short lifespan, he, uh, he was 42 when he died of lung cancer. He died in 1978. But so he packed a lot of punch Within the, within the five movies. So go down and ask somebody at your local bar, ask him. Ever, who, who's the actor where every film he was in got nominated for Best Picture? See if anybody comes up with it. So I know uh, another wonderful segment, of course. Nice little, <laughs> a little segment here. Um, we were, I was mentioning at one point in time whether or not this will end up getting the before parts we'll get into the podcast, but when we were talking about Mark Grace, it suddenly brought Ryan Sandberg up because I was thinking about a moment in 97 when, when Ryan Sandberg had gotten hit by a line drive hmm. and it was him. Uh, they were in Chicago playing Atlanta. It was in April of 97. So it would have been pretty late in his career, I'm sure. Obviously, it didn't end it that day. No, no. I say he did retire, but it was after <laughs> after the year was over. He retired, but it well, wasn't the, had nothing to do with that ball. Well, this article is from the Los Angeles Times that I found talking about him getting hit by a line drive off the off the bat of teammate Brant Brown, <laughs> which is bringing back some fun memories. Oh, that poor devil. Yeah, he just had the worst luck uh, when he was playing for the Cubs. And then he, uh, Sandberg was replaced by Jose Hernandez. Hmm. Um, and then they also talk about other people who got hurt. I don't remember Ellis Burks all that well. He wasn't on the team very long. I think. But, uh, I but they, do me- they do mention second baseman Jeff Kent suffering a sprained neck, trying to make a head first slide. Sounds like the Cubs. Gosh, I, I mean, I remember him. If it's the same guy I'm thinking of, I thought it was more on the more so on like in the Astros and the Giants. I don't remember. I, th- I think it's the much, same but. guy, but I think he just played over here for a little spell. But yeah, it's I, I remember I, that's why I thought '97 was when after the season uh, Samba retired because I know he wasn't on the, he wasn't not on the '98 team. I remember that yeah. was the team that you know did actually make it to the playoffs. Made it to the playoffs as a wild card. I know he wasn't on that team, and ironically, Mitch Williams was their star relief pitcher, so he had a brief bit of glory before he tanked but but you mentioned Jeff Kent and it's it, all well, he, teams well, are, well he wasn't really a star was he I mean that was that wasn't that Kerry Woods year in 98 well Kerry Wood had the uh the 20 strikeout game was, early in the year in May of 1998 but Kerry Wood got injured and he missed the last like couple months of the season so he certainly was the budding star but yeah. But he injured his arm and, and would require surgery after that. Man, I loved watching that guy hit. Gary Wood could really swing a bat, man. Are we, are we talking about the same guy here? <laughs> I thought, I mean, Gary Wood had several home runs in his, in his career. Yeah, he had, he had a few, but if for, we were for if like we're, a pitcher. If we're talking about pretty, a pitcher hitting, though. It's not know? really Arietta style or something. Like, I mean, Jake Arietta's. Well, if we're talking about hitting, Cub hitting pitchers and whether you like him or not as far as pitching him. But by, by far the best hitting Cub pitcher of all time is is uh, Carlos Zambrano. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. And he has, I think, he has twenty four home runs for the Cubs. Something yeah, like the that. The best hitting pitcher on the Cubs is Kyle Farnsworth. <laughs> <laughs> as far as with the Dukes, 
Yeah, he's the best hitting pitcher, but uh, not with a bat in his hand. But it's funny you mentioned Jeff Kent. I my quick comment is is that uh, although all teams like are, are like this to a limited extent, the Cubs have got to have the record of of all these like big name players that I forgot were ever on the Cubs because they were only there for a few months or a year. I mean, everyone usually after their career was was on on the life support. I mean, everybody traipsed through the Cub clubhouse at some time or another in their career. Well, I remember uh, even like the This Week in Baseball like twenty year video from back in the day and I remember seeing highlights of uh, Gary Gaetti when he was oh, on yeah. when he was on a different team at the time but I remember him being on the Cubs in the 90s. I mean we had we've had people on the Cubs and this is going back in the early days. We've had Dizzy Dean was on the Cubs for a while. <laughs> I mean Grover Cleveland Alexander was on the Cubs, one of the all-time great but this is after their careers were over. I yeah. mean they basically were on the fumes. Uh you know, Ralph Kiner, home run king of the 50s, was on the Cubs. I mean, and this goes on and on. You mentioned Ellis Burgs. I forgot all about I know who he is, but I, mean, I forgot all about it. He was on the Cubs. Uh, I mean, Ron Say was on the Cubs. Uh, you know, most of these guys... Uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's hard to argue against the fact that it's a historic organization. I mean, that's hard to... That'd be hard to say. I mean, whether or not the talent has always been maximized or not, they've obviously... They've, they've always kind of collected some big names here and there. Well, I'm just saying you like to get the big names when they're still good, though, as opposed to when they're That's not really the at the end of their style. Career. I mean, the Bears fit that mold, too. They usually wait and they end up with a Cordell Stewart or something <laughs> far after his uh, <laughs> yeah. playing days. Or, uh, didn't they have Chandler at one time? Didn't they? I thought they had Chris Chandler for a little while as a backup, maybe. They might have. I don't. They, it's for like the, Jim the, Miller or something. The, the, they had Jim Miller. We know that. But yeah. I, the, the Bears are kind of like the Cubs with their quarterbacks. I mean, gosh, you've had about <laughs> forty quarterbacks since the Sid Luckman days. I mean, yeah. Like I say, I hate to beat a dead horse because you know I'll tell you the last couple of months. Uh, if you listen to any of the, uh, there's only two real big ones. But if you listen to the sports talk radios uh, stations in this city, uh, they might as well just rename it. You know, the Mitch Trubisky show or whatever, because, yeah. I mean, they spend the whole time, you know, bashing Trubisky and bashing the Bears management. And certainly not my intention to do that here since we're going to ramp up. But well, yeah. the only thing I would say is the the one very important thing is the Bears have got to understand that in today's NFL, the quarterback isn't merely like uh, somebody to not throw the game away. You know, he's not just a game manager. You just don't want him to mess it up. He's got to be someone who goes out and wins the game for you. And all these quarterbacks we talked about in the playoffs, every one of them are guys that are capable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody, I don't think there's anybody on that list of teams that are still left that isn't commanding control of that team. You know, there's nobody who's just riding the ship and just kind of keeping an eye on the steering wheel occasionally. You know, they're they're actively driving the force. And... um I know they already they named him as the starter going up to next year. They they really should do the some um, research into the draft because there will be some talent left over when they get their two second round picks. There will be something left over, and honestly, they don't have a whole lot of other areas that they need to press on all that much. If you're willing to give another year uh. of development to. Um, tight ends they have or like running backs where like David Montgomery obviously would be in his second year next year. So mm -hmm. wanting to give them some time, I think it wouldn't hurt you to go out and at least spend 
a pick um, on a quarterback and see how that goes for you. Yeah, um, well, we get closer in, like we say, we'll we'll probably have something to yeah. say on on that one. We'll see who's available. Um, all right, so I wanted to I wanted to close this one out. We um, I thank everyone for listening. Whoever uh, is willing to tune into this and listen to this for as long as they do, uh, I want you to know I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to hit you with some fact blasts really quick. Um, if you didn't know these already, um, I don't know if this is fully true or not. The Redskins did hire Rivera, right? But the Redskins got Ron Rivera to. Oh, to uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, the former um, uh, Panthers coach. Yeah. Yes. Uh, former Panthers, former Bear. Yeah. Former Bear linebacker. Uh, the uh, the Panthers in that pickup Matt Rule, a former college coach. Um, don't know where. Can't tell you off the top of my head where Matt Rule coached, and it probably won't be important because <laughs> the, they're just going to run McCaffrey into the ground again for another year. Um, Cowboys ditched Jason Garrett finally, and now they've picked up uh, Fat William Shatner. <laughs> I think he kind of looks like Captain Kirk on a bender, sort of. But they picked up Mike McCarthy, and hopefully that works out a little better for them. I know people are still trying to scout Garrett for possible offensive coordinator positions. I guess he, uh, the Giants wanted to interview him for a coaching position, but now they're looking at an offensive coordinator for him. Obviously, the Bears end up signing Eddie Jackson. They give him an extension, four years, $58.4 million, and $22 million of that's guaranteed. Making him the highest paid highest safety paid safety in, in, in NFL history. history, yeah. Um, we'll see how that plays out. It doesn't tend to play out well in the Bears case when they offer people that kind of money. So there's a lot of other coaching positions going up. I forgot if the Giants were able to fill theirs yet, but I know they're still looking to replace Pat Shermer from last year. Um one of the big ones, February first, they're the Hall of Fame inductees uh should be getting picked. Five people get in. Uh, this list, the big headliners are Troy Palomalu and Reggie Wayne. But also filing in is um, two of my favorites, uh, Isaac Bruce and Tori Holt are also on the list. From uh, Both the greatest Rams. Show on, the greatest yeah. show on turf. Both from that 98 Rams team. Uh, Edron James is on the list. Steve Atwater, Zach Thomas. And um, making his seventh appearance on the finalist list is John Lynch. Um I don't remember as much from his career at the time, but I know... Uh, he was a safety on the Broncos his, primarily. Yeah, or Bucks. Or right? the Bucks. I'm sorry. I don't know. Tampa Bay Bucks. yeah. But he, I mean, I know people feared him, and I think that's one of the main things you have to take into account. But he, he had a good career. So I'm hoping, obviously, they can get some good picks out of that. It's not quite as uh, glamorous as last year, because obviously last year they were able to get Moss and all sorts of other people in there. I forgot if T.O. got in. Or not? I thought he didn't. He get in, but he didn't show up at the ceremony or something <laughs> like that. That's I recall. I think you're right about that. Um, and the last two foods for thoughts. Thinking about where Rivers and a where a possible Rivers and a Tom Brady kind of landing spot leaves you in the NFL picture. I have to see how that goes over the next several months. Um, we'll have some more. Uh, we'll talk more draft talk in a. You know, in a couple months when we get a little closer yeah. to the season, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk. We'll definitely be talking XFL when we get to that. That'll fill in the football gap uh, after this season's over. 
I want to see another guy like years ago in that XFL with a with a jersey on the back saying he hate me <laughs> for his name. You know, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, so the bin the next big event for us, I'm sure I'm sure we'll do another show post this playoff round to kind of confirm our predictions and go a little more in depth with the games, considering there's only going to be there will be less games. Unless we're wrong. Unless we're wrong. And then you probably won't hear from us ever again. No, yeah, no. We'll be right at least once. Well, we'll wait long enough for our next broadcast until we think that you've forgotten what we said. <laughs> um, and then the big event after that is, uh, I believe, on the 18th, we're going to be trying to make our way over to the, uh, the Cubs convention in Chicago. 17th. I think that's what you told me. The 18th? Well, whatever. That's Saturday. Saturday, whichever the Saturday date is. Um, and hopefully we can either, hell, we could broadcast something from there, or we can do it on the on right in, right out, you know, just kind of some kind of summary. I don't know what they usually talk about there, but you, but we'll have a, we'll have some kind of descriptive account of, of that event, you know, get to meet some people and see what's going on with the organization. Yeah, I like I said, I was, one, I was there once before in uh, 2008, and... Uh, and, and like I say, I mean, there is there is some waiting around. You're waiting in line for autographs and stuff. But you do get to meet some of these players, and uh, they do have some meetings and brief you on different things going on. And, you know, for the really true Blue Cub fans, uh, it, it's really something that you, at least you're up close and personal with some of the executives and the players and the managers. Uh, and I see everybody's doing it now. I mean, the Blackhawks have a convention. The White, the White Sox have a convention. Everybody's got a convention now. Uh, they've all become popular. And with that in mind, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening again. Uh, hopefully we can come up with some good broadcasts, maybe even get uh, Bartek involved in some of them. <laughs> if things uh, kind of cool down around the actual workplace. But uh, again, I really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, hopefully this entertains you through something, gets you through something. Um, in worst case, I'm I'm assuming you've at least learned a few facts from my dad. Worst case, <laughs> even if literally nothing was learned throughout this entire episode. But um, appreciate you, and hopefully we'll have something next week. And uh, have a good night. Drive safe. Stay out of trouble. Uh, just keep on hitting subscribe and be a part of the Surviving the Ground train. We're on Facebook under Surviving the Ground. We're on Twitter under the STG Podcast. I try and post a few fun shares there. Um, and I love all of you. So there, I said it. <laughs> Good night, everybody. This is Good night, guys.